0: We're here in Washington, D.C., and what a great honor it is anytime I get an opportunity to talk with Greg Dowd. He's now the VP of Global Situational Awareness and Chief Economist with a company called Aimpoint Research. He is no longer with the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, but uh, brings a whole lot to the table with the new company, uh, particularly in terms of situational awareness, which, Greg, it sounds like that's more like strategic planning.
1: Well, it's a military term. So my colleagues, several of them are West Point, U.S. Army career folks, a couple colonels. Two of them were uh, in charge of war gaming at the Army War College during their military career. Pretty well-decorated guys. And we spend a lot of time in agriculture today, 5, 10, 20 years out, thinking about what these things look like. Uh, Where I first became acquainted with these guys was my boss has become pretty well-known for giving a speech called Farmer of the Future what a U.S. farmer looks like in 20 years.
0: We've heard a lot about food security recently, and certainly you talked a lot about that when you were talking with other countries. And with the global situation that we're in right now, certainly maybe starts with Ukraine and Russia, but it just threw everything else into this just tumultuous mess to the statement about the redrafting of the...
1: Yeah. international trade situation when we do the war games it's so much about supply chains and food security is national security so let's go through this did this all begin with the ukraine and, and what's going on no actually it started with COVID, and we all know that but one of the most interesting things that really set the wheels in motion was last summer in china they ran out of coal and people, most people don't realize about half the provinces in China back in August and September had blackouts. Well, if you don't have any electricity, you're not running your soybean crushing facility. You're not running your facility that processes uh, phosphorus to make phosphate fertilizers. You're not running your facility to make the raw materials that go into glyphosate. <laughs> there are so many things that affect us in agriculture. And, and, and that was what began this process of really botching up the supply chains. And then you add what happened in the Ukraine on top of that, particularly on the fertilizer side of the
0: equation, that, that set the wheels in motion for where we are today. Even before all of this, we go back to the, the brick countries that when you get Brazil and Russia and India and China all to sit down together and say, you know, this dollar is the international currency. It seemed like the world was ganging up against us before any of this started. Brazil is going to look
1: out for itself. India is going to look out for itself. China is going to look out for itself. If you look at the president of Brazil and the uh, secretary of agriculture of Brazil, They've made a couple trips to Canada to talk about potash. You're going to grow soybeans, you've got to have potash. Where are you going to get it? Canada. Bolsonaro in Brazil has been up to see Putin because that's where the urea comes from that you need. So these guys, they're being very strategic. We need to be equally strategic and equally as the U.S. agricultural industry doing everything that we can to figure out how to secure what is an absolutely critical thing for us in agriculture, and that's the fertilizer component of this.
0: And it also goes back to disengagement from international conversations and trade
1: deals. That goes back to the Obama administration, though. You know, the first four years of Obama, there was complete disengagement. We didn't have trade promotion authority. This is kind of the same thing. So nobody's surprised by that. But what it does is, you know, it takes about 10 years once you do a deal for it to really develop into fruition and be valuable to us in agriculture. So again, we're in a situation where we don't have anything in the pipeline. So you've got to continue to have these conversations and press and prod and Undersecretary McKinney and I, that's what we did for three
0: years on a daily basis. You're talking about the coal in China and how that created all these other issues. I have a hard time with people that are against ethanol and pursuing electric cars more so than looking at some of the options that we have with ethanol understanding to a point that you've made in the past about China. Not just that they are looking out for their own, but they're looking for ways to actually kink the game in their favor, think currency manipulation. But with regard to batteries, they own, what, 80% of all that it takes to build these batteries if we don't pay attention to that at some point. Okay, let's talk about from an aim point perspective, longer term about this. Personally,
1: what drives me crazy, well, we just need to flip a switch and it's all going to happen. The answer is we're in a transition. We're going to be in a transition for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years. I'm not completely sure whether electric cars are going to be the end game here, or will it be a fuel cell, or will it be hydrogen, or with regard to aviation fuel, will it be renewable green diesel? You know, there are are all kinds of technologies and things that are going to constantly evolve. I'd love having the conversation, though, about what's the right way to manage this evolution and to grow it in a way where we are thinking through all the steps in terms of infrastructure. You can't do electric vehicles today because you don't have charging stations. Yes, the government has a role in all of this, but ultimately, as a U.S. economy, you you have to manage policy in a way that facilitates a transition and not just decides winners and losers.
0: Obviously, you and Ted worked together back in the day on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal. Mm -hmm. To your point, about 10 years before you really start to see I think what we've seen in the first years is that Canada has tweaked and fussed with the whole dairy thing, and Mexico keeps on flooding our market with tomatoes and avocados. What's your thinking about it?
1: Well, I think in the case of Canada, their dairy industry is, you know, Quebec is always untrustworthy, and I'm just going to say it out loud. That is what they are. We knew that they would attempt to do things to uh, kind of skirt what was in the agreement. So it is no surprise that the first enforcement action we brought of all of USMCA was Canada. Canada and dairy. No one should be surprised by that. With regard to Mexico, though, there's a lot of U.S. investment that has gone down to Mexico in terms of fruits and vegetables, etc. I, I think that's a real challenge for f- folks in Florida and, you know, the, the disparities in labor, environmental regulations. That is a real challenge for the high cost producer. This is something that we gamed out a little bit the other day in terms of the effects of inflation on U.S. agriculture, is what you have to be really careful and cognizant of in this kind of environment is making sure you make the right investments to maintain your ability to be the low cost producer. If you don't make correct investments and you end up being the high cost producer, that's when you can really get yourself in trouble.
0: Both of you guys were big proponents in the past about having a real strong Western Hemisphere, not just US, Canada, Mexico, but even into Central America. Are we moving in the right direction to solidify those strategic partnerships? I am so
1: glad you asked that question because I talk about this all the time. I do not like where AMLO is going in Mexico with regard to the rule of law. This is a huge challenge for the United States going forward, not just for agricultural trade, but for our relationship overall. Another country, if you watch what's going on here, is Colombia. They have a big election coming up. The guy that's in the lead down there, not necessarily what we would call a democratically kind of led guy. You've got a funky situation going on in Chile right now very left-leaning guy. So one of the, uh, the other deputies with me, uh, C.J. Mahoney, who was from Kansas, we've talked constantly about you've got to engage in the Western Hemisphere mm-hmm. with your trading partners. I mean, there is no question. What, what is one of the alternatives to having supply chains in China? Having supply chains coming out of Central America.
0: Greg Dowd, wonderful to sit down and really appreciate your insight on all this stuff. Thank you. My pleasure.